Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Ve salatu ve selamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men evla. Allahumma salli ve sellem ve zillu ve barik. Ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Allahumma salli ve sellem ve zillu ve barik. Ala seyyidina Muhammed ve salli ve sellem. Ve barik ya Rahman ala nur al-sari fil akwan. Allahumma salli alayhi. Okay, Bismillah. We're on number 13, correct? Number 13 says, قَالُ الْمُصَنِّفُ رَحِمُهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَنَفَرَ اللَّهُ وَيَاهُ بِعُلُمِهِ فِي الدَّارِينَ أَمِينٌ MashaAllah. MashaAllah. Welcome, welcome. He uh, says, كَيْفَ يُشْرِقُ قَلْبٌ سُوَرُ الْأَكْوَانِ مُنْطَبِعَةٌ فِي مِرْآتِ أَمْ كَيْفَ يَرْحَلُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَهُوَ مُكَبَّلٌ بِالشَّهَوَاتِ أَمْ كَيْفَ يَطْمَعُ أَنْ يَدْخُلَ حَضْرَةُ اللَّهِ وَهُوَ لَمْ يَتَطَهَّرْ مِنْ جَنَابَةِ غَفَلَاتِ أَمْ كَيْفَ يَرْجُ أَنْ يَفْهَمَ دَقَائِقَ الْأَسْرَارِ وَهُوَ لَمْ يَتُبْ مِنْ هَفَوَاتِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ وَنَفَنَ اللَّهُ بِهِ So he said <coughs> How is it that the heart can become illuminated when the images of the material things are printed upon its mirror. And how is it that the person can, tra- can um, travel to Allah and they are tied down by the chains of their desires? And how is it that they can hope to enter into the presence of Allah and they haven't purified themselves from their heedlessness? And how is it that they can hope to understand the subtleties of the secrets of existence and they haven't asked for forgiveness from their mistakes. Okay. <coughs> so, start in the beginning. So we have said before that one of the really important concepts and uh, images that repeats itself over and over again is this idea of illumination. And the concept that one's spiritual illumination takes place in the heart. And uh, that is related to the concept that the heart has an eye by which it comprehends the reality of existence. And that that eye is the eye of Basira. And uh, sometimes the heart needs cataract surgery. (laughs) You know when you need cataract surgery, like when your eyes get all cloudy. You can't see the same anymore, and like people are driving on the freeway, and lights are kind of bright, and seeing stars and stuff. My mo- my dad already had his. My mom is on her way to her, so uh, these are the stories I'm getting. So it affects your vision, and then the heart is similar. That when the heart has things that are blocking its vision, then it doesn't perceive in the same way. So he starts off this one by saying, uh, so that's the first concept that needs examination. The second one is this idea of the mirror of the heart. So the mirror of the heart. And um, if you read Rumi, this comes up a lot. Like the mirror of the heart comes up a lot. Ibn Arabi, the mirror of the heart, comes up a lot. Essentially, I mean, like, the easy way to explain this or to understand this would be to, first of all, understand what an old mirror is like. It's not like our mirrors. So the old mirrors, you have to actually rub them and polish them to keep them clean, such that they work. Otherwise, you don't actually get the reflection. You have to, like, really put the work in to rub and clean the mirror in order to make, in, in order to get the consequence. So the idea that they're basically getting at here is that um, there's all of these truths about existence that are very clear in front of us. And the mirror of the heart will reflect those into our soul, essentially, uh, if the mirror is clean. But if the mirror isn't clean, then we can't comprehend. So he's saying, how is it that the heart is going to be illuminated when what is it that's on the surface of the heart is the images of these material things 
like they're stamped on there. Muntabi'atun is literally they're stamped on there. So it's like you're try it's like if you had glasses and you had your glasses there and then there's like one of those stickers, you know. <laughs> it's like your kid came and they put a sticker of an ice cream cone right in the inside of your <laughs> in the inside of your glasses. So every time you open your eyes, you, there's an ice cream cone right there in the eye. So like everything you're looking at, you're looking at it through the lens of the ice cream cone. And the ice cream cone is affecting everything. Right? So you can't really you don't get it. Right? So what he's saying is how is your heart? And there's an image the part of the image is like those things they're not they're opaque, right? Like they when they're on the mirror, they block the mirror from from reflecting the light. So they're covering that mirror. So all of these things are covering the mirror. So how is your heart going to be illuminated? You know, you're more worried about the car and the house and the power and the respect and the appreciation and the love and whatever else it might be. All of those things now are printed on your heart. And how are you going to go to Allah when you're chained up with the shackles of your desires? You know, so like it's getting in the way. The food is getting in the way. The carnal desires are getting in the way. Everything else is getting in the way. So like every time you try to run, you're running, but your ankles are tied. So like you keep slipping and falling. And how can you hope to enter into the presence of Allah? This is more of like not physically, obviously, but into the experience of being in proximity to Allah. <coughs> when you haven't purified yourself from the impurity of, of your heedlessness. So like what he is saying is that when one forgets God, that's that's a kind of stain in the spiritual realm. Now in the physical realm you have your stains, whatever they are. In the spiritual realm the, the stain is to forget God. And so you think that you're going to go into the company of God and you forgot about Him? And you were heedless of Him? You think that's going to like, imagine how that's going to play out. That's probably not going to be so good, you know? So you, how do you think that's going to happen? And and how is it that you think that you're going to you hope to understand the subtleties of the secrets of existence, and you haven't made you haven't asked forgiveness for your slips and your falls. So these are all along the same lines, right? So it's basically like you want these amazing and beautiful and great things, but you're not like you're not preparing yourself properly to experience them, you know. Um, and any time that one is seeking to be in the company of Allah in a more serious way, then that requires some level of purification. Right? And now, what do you think about wudu? Does it finally make sense? Will do finally made sense. You're like, why do I have to wash myself all the time in order to go stand for prayer? Because you have to be, and it's not a physical issue. I've had people tell me, like, you know, they had wudu because they lived in Arabia and there's just dirt and filth everywhere. And, uh, you know, they, so they had to make wudu all the time. So you don't really need to do that anymore. I'm like, if that was the issue, then. How did we get like the nawaqid of wudu? If that was the issue. Like how did we get the things that break wudu? <laughs> if it was just about the dust. Like then the thing that breaks your wudu would be that it got dusty. It wouldn't be that you passed gas or something. Like that wouldn't be. Akramakumullah. Uh, that wouldn't. You know. Anyways. There has to be some level of purity. In order to understand these things. Number 14 الكون كله ظلمه وانما اناره ظهور حقيقي فمن راى الكون ولم يشهده فيه او عنده او قبله او بعده فقد اعوزه وجول الانوار This one's a little bit complicated I'm just going to warn you in advance okay وحجبت عنه شموس المعارف بسحب الاثار So he said radiyallahu an all of existence is darkness and it was illuminated by the manifestation of the truth in it. So all of this is darkness. The only thing that brings any light to it 
is the manifestation of uh, the truth of Allah and His attributes in the existence. That's what br- that's what actually brings it all to light. So whoever sees the existence and doesn't witness Him in it, or with it, or before it, or after it, <coughs> then uh, uh, how they translate this part? Ah, was it who? They miss the presence of the lights. They miss the presence of the lights. Okay, and the the um, the su- the sunshine of intimate knowledge was covered by the clouds of uh, material existence. Okay. The sun of gnosis. That's nice. Yeah. Can you say? Can you read your whole translation? One of you. The cosmos in all darkness, it is illuminated, illumined only by the manifestation of God in it. Whoever sees the cosmos and does not contemplate him in it, or by it, or before it, or after it, is in need of light, and is veiled from the sun of Gnosis by the clouds of created things. <coughs> okay. So, I'm going to try to give... Uh, Simple explanation on this. Uh, so, I think, and there's other ones that will come up that will explain it more. I mean, essentially, what he's getting at here is that know the order of operations. The order of operations that Allah exists, and that everything in existence that He created is uh, secondary. And that the only reason that we even know that that the only reason we have any of these things is because Allah showed Himself in existence. Like this is not; otherwise, none of this is here. And uh, so, part of like, and what's going to come later too? I think in some other ones is that He'll say like, the person who believes that God exists by looking at the created thing—that's that's one thing. But the real person who knows Allah is the one that believes the created world exists because they know Allah exists. Let's flip the other way. <laughs> okay? So it's a little bit tricky. So, I mean, like, if you were to... I, I guess one way to think about this would be when you study Aqidah, right? And they make the argument for the necessariness, the necessariness of Allah's existence, that Allah's existence is necessary, meaning that it is inconceivable to conceptualize something else to believe that he doesn't exist and that everything in creation is possible in its existence at every single moment so like right now this green scarf it could exist it could not exist two minutes from now it could not exist without us doing anything like we just continue the dodge so everything goes on it's fine and then it just goes away and i'm like okay it went away <laughs> yeah <laughs> just keep on going like that you can that the wall is there and you can't walk through it that's possible for you to walk through it is also possible from a purely rational perspective not from the perspective of our experiential knowledge and this is the thing that you know i'm sure and uh, some of you probably didn't attend wednesday because i know you can only attend so many days of the week um but Ustad Fuad probably beat this horse to death on Wednesdays, um, which is that our our worldview is is made up of different types of rulings, and one of those rulings is the ruling of that which is necessary by the mind, you know, what is rationally necessary, and that's different than what is observed to be true. So, like our observed truth is that you can't walk through a wall. Like, if you try to walk through a wall, it's going to hurt. That's, And our observed truth is that if you put your hand in the fire, it's going to burn you. And that if I'm here, I can't be, like, on the other side in the next moment. I have to actually get up and walk over there. And that's, those are all observed things. But from a purely rational perspective, they're not required to be that way. Because the only thing that's required to be from a purely rational perspective is for Allah to exist. 
And when we know that Allah exists and that He has the attributes of knowledge and power and will and all of these kind of things, alaykum, then we know that uh, He has the choice to do those things or not. So Allah can choose for the fire to not burn Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, And He can choose for the throne of Sheba to appear in front of Sulaiman in one second after it wasn't there. And the second before Allah can do all of those things And that would be a breaking of the norm But it's not logically impossible It's not rationally impossible And that's what miracles are right? So the miracles are We have an observed way of that the world exists It generally runs that way And Allah breaks that Whenever he feels like it So what, so what he's saying So what I'm getting at in all of this Is that What's the actual order of operations? A regular person, they would be like, okay, I see all these things, these clouds, mashallah, who made these clouds? Okay, clouds, that someone must have made them because look at them, they're so perfect and they're so beautiful and they're so amazing and they have this function. They fit within all these systems and then like all these systems are dependent upon them and like how amazing are these clouds? Who is the maker of these clouds? And they're like, Allah is the maker of these clouds. Okay, fine. It's like saying, but now actually the person who is, an, is a knower of Allah, they don't need to see anything. Right? Like they, they don't need to see anything. They know from their mind and from their just just their they know Allah exists. And because he exists, they say, Oh that, that cloud is actually real. So Allah made that cloud. It's not the cloud where who made the cloud, oh Allah made the cloud. It's Allah made that cloud, that cloud is true, these things are true. So the it's inversed. So that's why he's saying like Everything in existence is darkness And it's the existence of Allah that brought it all into light And so whoever sees the creation And doesn't witness Allah in it Or with it Or before it Or after it Like all of this actually Like all of the operations that relate to it Those are all secondary Because actually it's Allah that It's not about that Which one comes first It's not the creation It's Allah So uh, he's saying If they didn't understand that Then they actually didn't they, they didn't get the point yet like their heart the clouds of these material things were actually still more powerful than the sun of actually knowing Allah okay you understand inshallah if you don't understand we'll keep going and there'll be more ones that uh, that feed into the same idea and it will make it will make uh, it's number 16 is the one that uh, you know there's several of them here that will emphasize it more so inshallah it'll be fine Number 15 Ibn Atta is Ajib He is Ajib He is Ajib Commentary is Ajib too Ibn Atta So he says that From that which indicates to you the presence or existence of his power, subhana. Actually, subhana, that's actually what he said right there. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. I was just, when I thought about his power, I was like, subhana. <laughs> I looked down and it says, subhana. Is that he, uh, he veils you from him by that which doesn't exist alongside him in the first place. That's what he says. From from that which indicates to you the power of Allah is that you are veiled from Him by that which doesn't exist alongside Him in the first place. Bimalaisi bimaljudin ma'ahu. There's what like these things they don't really like. What is obviously they exist, but they're not. It's as easy for them to come and go and everything. But like these are the things that actually stop us from knowing Allah. Like how powerful is he that he is absolutely true and absolutely real and absolutely vibrant and everything, and the thing that gets in between in between us and knowing him is stuff that like doesn't even really exist in the first place. <laughs> okay, Sayyidi, he says in the commentary, Sayyidi Abu Hassan al-Shadini, he said, "Inna la nanzuru ilallahi ta'ala bi nazar al-iman wal-iqan, fa yughni na dhalika an al-dalili wal-burhan." 
ونستدل به على الخنق فإنه ليس في الوجود إلا الواحد الحق فلا نراهم وإن كان ولا بد فنراهم كالهبا في الهوى إن فتشتهم لم تجدهم شيئا He says we look at Allah with the, with the vision of belief and certainty and that frees us from having a need for evidence and proof so we don't need that we already know that he's Allah and so so we use him to prove that the creation exists because there's nothing in existence other than him even though we see it and we know that it's there but in reality he says it's like um, it's like some small particles that you have in the air you know you you or like some dust maybe that's in the air you you it seems like it's something but when you really look into it and you really take it and hold it and touch it you realize it's really nothing right? so it's 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 something you do see the world but the world is nothing it's not actually what matters what matters is Allah <coughs> 16 they build on each other be patient they build on each other كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو الذي أظهر كل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو الذي ظهر بكل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو الذي ظهر في كل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو الذي ظهر لكل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو الظاهر قبل وجود كل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو أظهر من كل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو الواحد الذي ليس معه شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء وهو أقرب إليك من كل شيء كيف يتصور أن يحجبه شيء ولولاه ما كان وجود كل شيء يا عجبا كيف يظهر الوجود في العدم أم كيف يثبت الحادث مع من له وصف قدم يا <تصفيق> Can you read the, how they translated this one? I'm very curious. <coughs> how can it be conceived that something veils him since he is the one who manifests everything? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he is the one who is manifest through everything? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he is the one who is manifest in everything? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he is the manifest to everything? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he was the manifest before the existence of anything? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he is more manifest than anything? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he, since he is the one alongside of whom there is nothing? How can it be conceived that something veils him since he is nearer to you than anything else? How can it be conceived that something veils him since were it not for him, the existence of everything would not have been made manifest. It is a marvel how being has manifested in non-being, being was capitalized, and how the contingent has been established alongside of him who possesses the attribute of eternity. Hmm. Yeah. It's just the same point. He's making the same point, basically emphasizing it more. And I think part of like what's interesting about these couple... The way that these couple of hikam are worded is that they're actually very different than most of the other wisdoms in the book. They kind of have, you know, like they say that uh, one of the characteristics of some of the, uh, of Juz'amma, for example, when it, especially when it's talking about the hereafter and stuff, is that it's kind of choppy, like it's hitting you. It's like boom, 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 boom. Like usually most of the hikam in the book are not like that. But if you know, like these, the one we started on was like that. And this one is like that. So it's like he's putting this concept out there and he's giving you three or four hikam around the same concept. And it's just kind of like, get it. It's going to take you a little bit to get this. I mean, it's like, I'm going to keep hitting you with it until you, until like you really get what's being said here. Which is that, how is it, like, wait a second, all these things, we don't recognize who he is because of all these things that get in the way, but how is it that these things can get in the way, 
when he is the only thing that's actually true in the end. And like these things, you wouldn't even see them. They don't even, you don't recognize them. You don't know what they are. They don't exist alongside him. And you're like, well, is it saying that there's nothing exists? No, like five is real. But five, when you put it next to infinity, it's not real anymore. Right. So like, yeah, it exists, but it doesn't exist in a sense. It's paradoxical in that way. Um, but how is it that like Allah, like how ajib is it that he is, he is, uh, like, all of this existence is showing up in nothingness because everything other than Allah is nothingness. But all of this is in that nothing. And how ama- and how incredible is it that all of these things are, these temporary things, they actually have existence in the face of the infinite. Like, and these things, they come and they go, it's made. But Allah... There's no beginning and there's no end. So, like, isn't it amazing that they're even here in the first place? <laughs> so he's just kind of like hitting you with it. Uh, if it's not making sense, don't worry about it. It's okay. He's gonna move on. You're gonna be fine. He's already moved on. So Seventeen moved on. So does it mean like a question is like, how is it that you are veiled by this if you don't like, if you didn't think about it in X Y Z way? Yeah, like you should. Like you need to understand properly. These things are, they shouldn't be getting in the way. To, you know, he, he is Allah. He is a vahir. He is the one who showed everything. He is the one who this, 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 this. <coughs> so yeah, if it's not making sense yet, it's probably my fault. Just don't worry about it. Inshallah over time, maybe one day it'll make sense. Nonetheless, he's going to move on anyways, so you're okay. Number 17. Yeah, someone close to me told me this one recently. That was good. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. That's a different Tashkil than I usually read it as. مَا تَرَكَ مِنْ جَهْلِ شَيْئًا مَنْ أَرَادَ أَنْ يَحْدُثَ فِي الْوَقْتِ غَيْرُ مَا أَظْهَرَهُ اللَّهُ فِيهِ So, Astaghfirullah. So no one, uh, the person has left behind no ignorance. You know, that's the expression. They left behind no ignorance. I mean, they took all of it. They, they took all the ignorance. They left no ignorance left for anyone else. They're just, you know, they have all of it. The one who wants something to happen other than what Allah brought to happen in that moment. They want something in that moment other than what Allah brought in that moment. That person is the definition of ignorance. That's what I'm saying. Who is the definition of ignorance? The one who wants something in a moment that's other than what Allah brought in that moment. So, you know, if you're feeling like an ignorant person right now, at least we're together. <laughs> Subhanallah. There was an interesting audio clip someone sent me recently of uh, of um, Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah. Someone asked him like they were with him and they asked him something like, uh, you know, do you want to be somewhere else right now? Do you want to be? I forget what it was. Like th- what the detail was, and he was just like, no. They're like, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not really like that. Like, wherever Allah put me in whatever moment, like, I'm totally happy with that place. And if I end up somewhere else after that, then I'm happy with that place. There's no, you know, but I'm not like always thinking about some other place. That's, I'm just where I am. <laughs> I was like, man, that would be nice. Maybe one day. So he says that that's, you know, but that's what this is, right? Why are you trying to have something else? And we talked about that in the beginning, right? This idea of God. These things are hard to read. He says, "Yani anna min husn al-adbi an yakun al-murid radiyan bima aqamahu Allahu fi, kama qala baad al-'arifin. Liya mundu arba'in sana, li mundu arba'in sana ma aqam min Allahu fi halin, 
فكرهته ولا نقل لي إلى غيره فسخطه so he says, the, the person said, uh, he says in the commentary, he says, from good adab with Allah, good adab with Allah is for the person to be content in whatever situation Allah put them in. Whatever place they're in, they're content with the place that they're in. And then he says, as some of the knowers of God said, one of them said, in the past 40 years, there hasn't been a situation that Allah put me in that I disliked. Or that he took me out of and I was upset about. <laughs> 40 years. Um, it's, enough, it's enough for me to know that people like that exist. And, you know. And that this stuff was like real. I can... You know, some people when they read things that seem like way beyond their reach, it upsets them. And, uh, you know, whatever. It might upset them for different reasons. <coughs> I read stuff like this, I'm happy. I'm like, alhamdulillah, people like that exist. Like, there are people who really believe in Allah like that. And that's wonderful. Like, they're the evidences of the truth of all of this. <laughs> and that this is like, this is real. And that people did these things. And people live like that. And we have hundreds, if not thousands, of their biographies and their stories and their... You know, from the past and from the present. And, you know, just because it seems very difficult for me to do doesn't mean also that I don't agree that this is the standard, which is also really important. Like, I don't, it's not like, you know, that whole idea about how um, if you can't jump over the, the bar, instead of lowering the bar, make your legs stronger. Like that whole thing, you know, <laughs> like... Just because uh, I'm not going to change how things are supposed to be because I can't do it. That would be kind of like dishonest, right? But a lot of times this is the way we function because we are the children of liberalism. And liberalism says that whatever we think is what's right, not what's actually right. And that there's no such thing as objective truth and so on and so forth. So, you know, that doesn't seem right to me. I'm not going to change. I'm not, I don't believe in that. Okay, well, I mean, I can't really, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> don't believe in it. It's your life. So number 18 says, إِحَالُتُكَ الْأَعْمَالَ عَلَى وَجُودٍ فَرَاغِ مِنْ رُعُنَاتِ النَّفْسِ It's also tied into the same idea. إِحَالَتُكَ الْأَعْمَالَ عَلَى وَجُودٍ فَرَاغِ مِنْ رُعُنَاتِ النَّفْسِ It says that... <coughs> For you to postpone For you to postpone and delay The deeds that you should do uh, And that you want to do and so on and so forth uh, On the premise that you don't have time Is, uh, is from basically the uh, tricks of the nefs from the stupidity of the nefs. The nefs is getting in the way. Now, obviously, I mean, I think it's very clear that there are limitations on that. Like, I can't just be like, you know, I really wanted to memorize the Quran and Jawhara to Tawheed and this 2,500-line poem in Hanafi Fiqh and the 1,000-line work of... Um, who was that? In Hadith Al-Iraqi. And hadith and like this and this I really wanted to do those things And like I'm just making excuses Because I didn't do them yet There's some truth to that And like some falsehood to it right The truth to it is 15 years ago Had I actually just started doing that I would have been d probably done with most of it by now That That is actually true But what, what So what this is is like this. I'll give you the example of this This would be like me Let me make it very personal why not? Uh, I want to study more. And I don't want to study the things that like people actually care about, just to be clear. <laughs> you know, like sometimes people want to study like the answers to relevant questions and stuff. I don't care to study any of that. I, the only thing I care to study is the base core of material that has been transmitted from generation to generation of what the religion is. 
answering the common issues and like contemporary issues and people's doubts and all this stuff I actually don't really care for that that much I just like this thing that we need to pass down one generation to the next I just care for that and the other stuff like you know if we if it comes up it comes I'm just talking about like purely personal now purely personal selfish perspective so then one of the things that would come with that is like okay so you need to master certain things in aqidah and memorize them regardless of all the f- translations forget all the translations we just stick to arabic cuz all these translations they make me confused well that stuff Fuad do that stuff modern philosophy and words and i like can't make sense of all these words in english every time we have a theology conversation i'm like look it's like grammar when someone talks to me, i'm like don't ask me to translate grammar i don't know grammar in english we can talk about it in arabic i'm fine <laughs> but in english leave me alone so the same thing with philosophy and theology and all these things <laughs> just leave me out of it so but you're going to need to do certain things like you need to study this poem and you need the three commentaries on it probably and like their meta commentaries and then you need and you need to memorize the poem and then you need to mem- go to the next one you need to memorize that one just to get to like the level of a azhar high school graduate i'm like six text behind you know forget the college level so i could sit and be like i'm just too busy you know two children and live in southern california and parents are getting older and jobs and whatever and like i don't have time for that stuff or five years ago i could have said i'm going to memorize one line of this poem every single day and i would have been done with the first poem in like two months <laughs> it's only like a 70 line poem the first one right the small one and then the bigger ones like a couple hundred lines so if all if all that i did was memorize one line a day for one year with the commentary, which is going to take just the one-line commentary, is probably going to take not that long. Let's say a lot, half an hour for it. Now, am I making excuses? If it hasn't been done yet, am I making excuses or I actually don't have time? What do you think? Be honest. This is a chance to prove your honesty. If it hasn't been done yet, am I making excuses or do I not actually have time? This is your chance. You must say the truth, regardless of... You know, your deference for the person who's reading the book with you. Yes. Yes. You have proven. You have spoken the truth. You have time. Of course you have time. Even if you didn't do it in one year. Say it takes 30 minutes a day and you just do it once a week. And you repeat the same line to yourself all week long. You're not going to forget it. That's for sure. And maybe instead of taking it one year, it takes you like whatever it takes. Seven years. But you still finish the poem and you know the poem. And then, you know, seven years later, you finish another one. Did you have time? You had time. You just put it off. So, take a year and a half. Yeah, for the first poem. Yeah, take you a year and a half, you'll be done. So now you could sit here and say you don't have time. But the reality is, you know, I left Egypt nine years ago now. So... Like you can make excuses if you want, but excuses are excuses. So this is from the Hamaqa. He says the Hamaqa of the nafs. Hamaqa is a nice word. You know that one. Afghans know that one. I don't know if Urdu speakers know. Hamq. Yeah, you have that one too? You like it, right? Ahmaq. Everyone's having flashbacks to like their childhood now. Ahmaq. So yeah, that's it's from the Hamaqa of your nafs. If you're, if you're just like delaying it. I'm going to do it when I get time. I'm going to do it when I get time. I'm going to do it when I get time. I'm going to do it when I get time. Okay, so when are you going to have time? You're never going to have time. Because it's not actually the time that's the issue. It's the nafs that's the issue. And that's that's the unifying theme between everything that's come before this, right? It's not actually the place that you're in that's the issue. It's the nafs that's the issue. Right? When it comes to like where you are, wanting to be somewhere else. Anyways, you get the point. Number 19. I used to have this one written on my wall in ICOI. This is in the wall. I don't know if she, last A couple years ago when I went and saw Sheikh Atif, it was actually still on the wall. He left it there. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it's still there though. It wasn't even written very nicely or anything. I like wrote it down on a post-it or something. Put it on the wall. It says, Do not ask for Allah to take you out of one situation 
and put you into another situation. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. Do not take ask Allah to take you out of one situation to use you in a different one. To use you in a different one. Because if he wanted, he would have took you out anyways. He, like he would have already used you for that without taking you out from anything if that's what he had wanted. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So like don't keep again the same theme. Don't worry about going somewhere else. Worry about fixing yourself with Allah. Don't worry about going somewhere else. Worry about fixing yourself with Allah. Fix yourself with Allah. Allah will do whatever He wants to do with you. It doesn't mean He has to take you here, take you there, do whatever. I'll put you in the same place and take you there. You know, maybe nothing changed. And just like everything changed at the same time. So the, all of these first ones again are on that same idea. Don't like, instead of trying to get out and go somewhere else, be where you are. And stay there and do what you're supposed to do. Okay, 20. He, this 20 kind of shifts a little bit also. There must be some connection. Maybe it will show up as we go. مَا أَرَادَتْ هِمَّةُ سَالِكٍ أَن تَقِفَ عِنْدَمَا كُشِفَ لَهَا إِلَّا وَنَادَتْهُ هَوَاتِفُ الْحَقِيقَةِ الَّذِي تَطْلُبُ أَمَامَكُ وَلَا تَبَرَّجَتْ لَهُ ظَوَاهِرُ الْمَكَوَّنَاتِ إِلَّا وَنَادَتْهُ حَقَائِقُهَا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ فِتْنَةٌ فَلَا تَكْفُرُ verse from the Qur'an So he says um, He says that the ambition of the traveler, the salik Salik is the seeker. The ambition of the seeker does not stop at what has been revealed to it or to him or her except that the... God, I want to hear how they translated this actually because I'm totally stumbling through it. How, can you read what they translated? Uh, hardly does the intention of the initiate want to stop at what has been revealed to him. Then the voices of reality call out to him. That which you are... Capital R reality? Yeah, capital R reality. Quote, That which you are looking for is still ahead of you. And hardly to the exterior aspects of created beings display their charms. Then their inner realities call out to him. We are only a trial, so disbelieve not. Yeah. So basically what this is getting at is that this person is traveling to Allah, right? They're traveling to Allah. They're trying to get everything right. And <coughs> along the way, they experience certain things. Like maybe they get things that they were hoping for. Maybe they develop some sort of relationship with the Qur'an. The like they were really wanting. Maybe fasting became beloved to them. Maybe whatever it might be. Some sort of thing happens along the way. Maybe they started to have miracles. Maybe they started to have dreams that were true. Dreams that were true is actually a big one that people get stuck on. So let's go with that one. The person is trying to improve their relationship with Allah. They're doing their thing, whatever. All of a sudden, they start to have these dreams. They're like remarkable dreams. Now, maybe they're not even true. They're just really cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like they have this dream of, I don't know, like uh, fighting demons and like vanquishing them and... You know, yeah, like cool stuff, you know, <laughs> like maybe like some of these other people are coming to your aid in the dream and you're like, wow, I can't believe that person was in my dream, like killing shaitani tigers, like it's so sick. Low <laughs> alam, if these things actually exist or not. Yeah, it's oddly specific, right? Um, so it's like the person starts having these dreams and stuff and they're like, wow. And then they just get lost in their dreams. They forget, like, the dreams don't actually matter anything. That's why in the old books and stuff, we don't believe in, like, modern people can't handle it. But the old books always say that, like, oh, who cares? The person flew. You'll <laughs> find them, like, okay, the person walked on water. Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter if someone walked on water. What does walking on water have to do with anything? Like, they could walk on water and then commit sin afterwards. They could have jinn that are helping them walk on water. Whatever it might be. Like, uh, what do I care about that? So what this is saying is, like, all of these things can ha things can happen in front of you. Taqif عندما كُشِفَ Something was unveiled to the person. 
person is traveling in their relationship with Allah, something was unveiled to them. And then they stop there. Right? They want they want they want to stop there. And the voice of true reality calls out to them and says, calls out to them and says, What you're seeking is ahead of you. This is not it. What you're seeking is ahead of you. This is not it. And they don't stop with like uh, these different things in the forms of the world are manifested to them and they start whatever, except that the truth calls out to them and says, Like the inner reality of those things is telling them, that's not actually, this is not it. Don't, don't get confused. This is not it. You know? And you see this a lot. I'm giving some extreme examples, but you see this a lot. You might see it, I think, like a more common like Muslim community example might be something like, may Allah protect all of us, that someone's working on some project, and like they're working on it, they're working on it, nobody really pays attention, nobody really cares, whatever, and then all of a sudden, over not all of a sudden, but over time, they, they attain some sort of success with it, and then they think like they actually accomplished it. No, like this is not actually what you were trying to do. You know, what you whatever work that you were involved in, whatever project it was, whatever thing that you were doing, that's not actually the goal. So like, don't think just because I built this project, you know, I'm Ustad or Sheikh so and so, and I built this project, and mashallah, everybody loves me, and then you're gonna stop at that, and you know what's coming next, because that's not what you're supposed to be stopping at. So, We are a fitna, so do not disbelieve. This is from the story of the angels, right? The magic and the angels and stuff. And I can't get into it right now. But Harut and Marut in the, the Surah, Surah Al-Baqarah. That they, these angels who taught people magic and they told them like, We're a fitna, don't disbelieve. And they still wanted to know it, right? So like, this is... Don't don't get caught up in that. You get the point. Sometimes I lose myself in some of these, so I'm trying to keep it moving. Number twenty one. Translation because it seems like it's going to be fun. Uh, read the translation, please, Zawar, of the Hikmah first. You're, re <coughs> you're requesting him is sus suspecting him. You're seeking him is due to your absence from him. You're seeking someone else is because of your immodesty toward him. You're requesting someone else is on account of your distance from him. That's a really interesting translation. Hmm. It's pretty good, actually. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed with that translation. Because, actually, every one of those phrases starts with the same word in Arabic. But in the translation, it doesn't. Right? Say it again. You're requesting him. You're requesting is talab. Okay. Is suspecting him. You're seeking him. You're seeking him is talab. Is due to your absence from him. You're seeking someone else. You're seeking someone else is also talab. Is because of your immodesty toward him, and you're requesting someone else is on account of your distance from him. Also, talab. So he, the translator, shifted it according to the context and the meaning, which was actually good. A in the commentary. A talabuka minhu taala hawaijika muatamidan ala talabi muatakidan anhu laulahu lama hasala matlubak ittihamu lahu taala bi anhu la yarzukuka illa bi talab. So he says, for you to seek your needs from him, depending on your request, and believing that had it not been for your request, you would not have got that thing that you requested, is an accusation of him uh, that he, capital H, does not give to you except if you ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're asking of him, and you're believing, you're depending on that ask, 
believing that had you not made that ask, he would not give you. That is accusing him, that saying that he wouldn't give you had you not asked. And that's like kind of not thinking well of Allah. إِذْ لَوْ وَثَقْتَ بِهِ فِي إِيصَالِ مَنَافِعِكِ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ غَيْرِ سُؤَالٍ لَمَّا طَلَبْتَ So like, if you really believe that he's going to give you what you need without you having to ask, you wouldn't have asked. That's so why I told you before that some of the stuff that he's going to talk about around dua, it takes kind of like a little bit for people to, like the initial, and these are the kind of things that people when they read it, they start saying this person is a person of bid'ah, this person was a person of this, that, he didn't know what he was talking about, he didn't know Allah, all these kind of things. Because they read it and Surah Al-Aqwan Muttabi'atun Fi Mirati The person's reading it and the images of material creation are printed on their on their heart. So they that they read it wrong. So he's not he's not what the point is he's not telling you like don't make dua. He's telling you make dua. But know that he was going to take care of you either way. Like don't don't get it twisted. Don't think that it was like your du'a that actually was was the issue here. You make your du'a out of submission, out of worship, out of everything else. Yes. You know, I like I hear like make du'a just for like what's best. Mm -hmm. like, stay away from being specific. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of the time the du'a of the Prophet and them was very general. It wasn't very. It wasn't specific. When you read the books and you read the hadith on the du'a of the Prophet it's very interesting. There are exceptions, like Oh Allah, kill so and so and kill so and so. And like those are very specific, or you know other things. But like his his most common du'as were very general. Uh, was from the most beloved du'a of the Prophet Oh Allah give us good in this life and good in the next life and protect us from the punishment of the grave very very general like one of the specific ones has a tone of generality to it You're like uh, Allah being one of the two Omars mm. which uh, like the most beloved of the two Omars to you yeah. you know or I mean there are there are specific du'as but you know there's a level of Again, like his thing is always going to be How do you have absolute tawheed? Absolute tawheed means I completely trust in Allah And I'm not going to I'm not going to make my dua into like a false idol My dua is not a false idol Some people do this They turn their dua into a false idol They turn their dhikr into a false idol They turn their salah into a false idol So he's going to make sure all of these things are not like Even though they're good things But we start to depend on those So he's always going to be like no, this is Allah. You are the servant of Allah, and like get things right. Yes, Dr. Mitra. So oh my God, we're out of time. Personal, like you were. Um, so I understand, like the transaction, the transactional prayer, or the dua, or the worship, or like, oh, I'll do this, and then I'm gonna do this. Or, like I get that. So what about like, so obviously, like I completely agree with what you were saying, like. Allah's Allah and he's going to decide what he gives and what he doesn't and I always feel like it's already set like but what about so this is what I've done as a child I don't even know if this is correct or not but like when you said to the details or the big picture of just my life I feel like it's helped it's not necessarily shaped in dua form but it's like just conversations with Allah so like it, it's actually for me to develop mm -hmm. proximity Yes. It's not asking, it's just like running things by mm -hmm. or just conversating and getting it off of my chest. And, and I felt like um, that was a mechanism, even as a kid, that I got close to Allah when it wasn't just through dua and asking, asking. It was just like, just like you have a conversation with somebody. This was a different level of a conversation, but is that looked at upon like this? Because it, there's no like necessarily asking. It's almost like just... This is what I'm going through. That's good. It's like Taif. The Dua of Yunus. It's like the Dua of Taif. The Dua of Yunus has no ask in it. Yeah. Uh, how does it go? La ilaha illa subhanak inni kuntu min al-thalimi. That's the Dua of Yunus that saves him from the whale. La ilaha illa subhanak inni kuntu min al-thalimi. So is it, uh, there's no God but you Glorified are you I'm from the oppressors That's his dua That was the dua Rabbi inni lima anzanta ilayya min khayrin faqir Musa alayhi salam 
my lord I'm I'm in need of whatever good you might give me I'm totally in need of it like, these are their du'as you know because what am I trying to do I'm trying to express my dependency on Allah I'm trying to be in conversation with Allah I'm trying to make Allah part of my daily life all of the moments that pass so on and so forth while at the same time like what you choose Allah is better so I'm just going to keep this really I'm, 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 I'm good with this Allah like you know just let us be together that's like ta'if you know if you're not upset with me Allah what is this like you leave me to this enemy you leave me to this you leave this, so if you're not upset with me then there's no issue with me yeah, like I don't have any problem it's really beautiful subhanallah if you take the time to try to like really get at okay what is he trying to say if you have husnadhan and that's what frustrates me about the people who like when people read the burda when they read ibn al-ta'ala and they just like go on these rampages about how it's kufr and bid'ah and all these kind of things I'm like if you just gave your believing brother the benefit of the doubt and not just him like if you gave him and the vast majority of ulama all throughout history after them the benefit of the doubt to say that like maybe these people understood something that I didn't and I'm not getting it right now like maybe I should think about it a little bit just give them asnadan maybe you would have understand what they were trying to say but like I mean it's okay so basically what he's getting at is that you know there's still kind of like a connection to the first thing even within this one. Go ahead, explain. So, um, you're, you're not relying on your own deeds, and that you're rely you're thinking that your dua is actually going to be actually helping you, but rather it's the reliance on Allah Subhanahu. Mm-hmm. So, so if say if you were to actually lose hope because your dua didn't necessarily manifest the way that you thought it would, then you're relying on the dua and you weren't relying on Allah. Right. Yeah, it is connected, and it's connected to the one about sickness too, right? Because the one about like he opened up a window for you when you were incapacitated. So it's like, yeah, because it's not about the thing again. It's about Allah. So regardless of your situation, it's still about Allah. The place that you're in. So all of it is going back to that same concept, right? So and those just go on. You know, you're seeking is is that it's if you're asking him, that means that you are actually away from him. Because if you were with him, you would know that you didn't actually need to ask. <laughs> like, it, it shows that there is a distance. If you're asking from someone else and expecting that they're going to be the one that benefits you, that's because you don't have haya in front of Allah. You don't have shame in front of Allah to ask for someone, ask someone else to handle it. You know, um, and you know, if you're asking of others, then it's because you're distant from Him. Subhanahu wa taala. Yes. I don't know it memorized. The one when the Prophet I send them left ta'if and then uh, you can probably find it real quick. Someone pull it up real quick and let's read it. It's beautiful. It's munaja. It's actually like a discourse with Allah. More than a dua, technically speaking. Because um, there's not a request in it. Um, you found? No. Oh, yes. Just don't like. We still make dua because the Prophet made dua. And he taught us to make dua. And he taught us that, and he told us that Allah is upset when we don't ask from Him. So we ask from them, and we ask from that perspective. You know, and so you know, keep it general. Make salawat. Maybe ask for whatever, um, but just like not from the perspective of. This is what really matters, like you know. And again, as I think I said, maybe in the first session, that the thing that he's going to really get into with du'a is the I- idea of tahakum fi du'a, which is like when you make du'a and you're forcing that du'a on Allah. Yeah, and that's I mean it's very very common. I'm making du'a and Allah didn't do it. I'm making du'a and Allah didn't. So, so who's in charge? You are Allah. Like, let's just boil it down real quick When you say I'm making dua and Allah didn't do what I wanted him to do Who, who is God and who is the servant of God In this, in this conversation Because it sounds like you're God 
and he's your servant from <laughs> from what you're saying uh, and that's like really harsh but that's that is uh, I mean, like if you were to really boil it down and just get down to what the essence of it is that's what the essence of that is so I want to make dua but I want to make dua from the perspective that I'm the servant Allah give me inni as'aluka tuqa wal huda what is it inni as'aluka tuqa wal afaf wal huda wal afaf wal ghina it's also one of the prophet sallallahu's favorite duas it's like oh Allah i ask you for for taqwa and for guidance and for chastity and purity and so on and so forth and then for sustenance and like independence you know these are like very general things you know uh, and i i think like if you pick up pick up any book like riyadh as-salihin the last chapter i think in riyadh as-salihin is on the dua of the prophet so let me just read them and be like wow it's it's actually kind of remarkable when you read them because you're like those aren't usually the du'as that I make. You know? <laughs> the du'as the Prophet made and the ones I'm making, they're not really so similar. You know? um, hold on. Did someone find the ta'if du'a? Somewhere? Can you read it? Yes, the translation. <coughs> to you, my Lord, I complain of my weakness, lack of support, and the humiliation I am made to receive. Most compassionate and merciful, you are the Lord of the weak, and you are my Lord. To whom do you leave me? To a distant person who receives me with hostility? Or to an enemy you have given power over me? As long as you are not displeased with me, I do not care what I face. I would, however, be much happier with your mercy. <laughs> I seek refuge in the light of your face by which all darkness is dispelled, and both this life and the life to come are put in their right course against incurring your wrath or being the subject of your anger. To you I submit until I earn your pleasure. Everything is powerless. That's the of Taif. The Munajah of Taif. Notice there's not really any request in it. That's the Prophet Sallallahu them after, you know, Khadija dies, Abu Talib dies. They've been boycotted for three years. People are starving. They're eating animal f- droppings in order to survive. All their money is lost. There's no interactions with anyone. Prophet Sallallahu at the end of everything. And he's like, let me go to Ta'if. Try to get these people to help us. He leaves Ta'if. And he goes to Ta'if. And they, they reject him so badly, they send their kids to throw stones at him. And he's dripping blood and leaving the city. And like leaves and leaves. And he sits down and he makes this. This is his... That's the du'a that's made. <laughs> you know? It's like, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah. That's remarkable. And then Allah starts to give him gifts right away. They're not. We always say that Isra and Mi'raj was like the gift that comes after the year of sadness. That's oh, true. But Allah gives him gifts right there. and if, From that moment. Yeah, and Adas is the big one. Adas is an initial one. You know, when he sits down right there and then the they send, yeah, and then the jinn stuff happens. Uh, the jinn, the salah, and like the uh, Adas comes, they send Adas and the, to some Meccans who had like a piece of land there. They saw what happened, and even though they weren't Muslims, they felt bad because he's still a Meccan. Like, he got treated like that in this town, so they. They send their servant Adas to go and give the Prophet them some grapes and some water and stuff. And then uh, the Prophet takes it and he says, Bismillah. And he goes to eat it. And Adas says, uh, Where'd you get this statement? That's not from the statement of your people. The Prophet them told him, like, So where are you from? <laughs> that you, you recognize that. Where are you from? He said, I'm from Nineveh. And he said, Oh, it's the land of my brother Yunus. We're just talking about Yunus. He said, that's the land of my brother Yunus. He said, what do you mean your brother? Like, how are you? He said, he's a prophet and I'm a prophet. And Adas kisses his feet and recognizes that he's the prophet. He knows, right? He accepts. So like that happens right there. These whole, this whole town you tried to get help from, they didn't accept it. But the servant, he accepted it. And then when the prophet goes, like right after that, goes back to Mecca, that's when the, two, the angel came and told him, these two mountains, we can destroy these people if you want. Like all that's, and then Isra'an comes. Right, so like the 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 gifts come very quickly to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but th- and they come after this du'a of Ta'if that's not. It's like Sayyidina Musa salam when he sits down under the tree and says, "Rabbi inni liman zatamin, min khairin fakir." It's just so beautiful because like he killed the person by accident, 
He has to leave the town. He travels all this distance. He goes to somewhere that he's not familiar with. The last thing he wants to do probably is help someone else at that moment. You know, like if you're from a purely nefsi perspective, of course, that's not his perspective. But like that's the last thing most people would want to do. Then he sees the women who can't get the water from the well. So he goes to them, asks them, what's your situation? So on and so it helps them get their water, takes it, takes it back, delivers it, everything else. And he's like completely exhausted in a place that he has nothing. He doesn't know anyone. He has no property. This is a completely total mess, right? Rabbi Yeah, like whatever good you can give me, Allah, I'm in need of it. Then he gets a wife and a job and a place to live. Like that. <laughs> but the dua, the, 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 I don't know if we should even say dua, but like the, the interaction is like, uh, it, it, you know, it's 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 about the turning of the heart more than it is about like the the formalities of it or the it's complete it's complete uh, tafweed and that's what we talked about in the first you know first day like every a lot of the hikam are about having complete tafweed I'm turning it over to you Allah Allah I'm turning it over to you and you know. I'll do what I'm supposed to do And I'm turning it over to you Like I'm going to go out in the boat And I'm going to put the sail up But like Allah Wherever you put the wind That's your wind Allah And I'll go It's really hard Any questions or comments